I can pray. I can serve. I can believe. I can know him more. I can make a difference. I can choose to do the right thing. I can live for something greater. I can be strong. I can fight. I can lead. I can learn. I can change lives. I can change the world. I can do it. I can love Jesus. I can show others how. I can be a disciple making disciples. Some of you may remember several years ago when Adam Sandler starred in a movie called Click where he played this guy named Michael Newman who was a stressed out architect living in New York City. Well, he had aspirations to lead his company one day, but that would come at the price of quality time with his family. Michael was the type of guy who was always at the office, and if he was home, he was always tied into some project, completely neglecting his two kids and wife. Well, Michael about has it with this pace of life, and so one day he heads to this store in search of a universal remote that he had heard of that could supposedly control time in the universe. Well, upon receiving this remote, Michael quickly learns that this device can be used to his advantage. In one scene, his wife comes in to nag him about something. Rather than listening to her, he simply takes out the remote, presses fast forward, and doesn't hear a word that she says. (laughs) Some of you are thinking right about now, how can I get something like that? (laughs) Well, with each scene that goes by, Michael simply presses fast forward in the circumstances that he doesn't really want to live through so that he can ultimately get to where he's striving for in life. Talking about the promotion, the bigger home, the nicer car, increased influence at the workplace. But you see, Michael gets there and he realizes that it's not really all that it's cracked up to be. One day, Michael wakes up and looks back on his life, realizing that he had fast-forwarded through all the valuable, uh, life-changing experiences with his family. But you see, the sad thing was that once he decided to press fast-forward, that was a decision to escape time, and he couldn't go back to relive it. Now, as cheesy and unrealistic as that movie is, don't we all have our own way of trying, of trying to avoid circumstances with our family? I mean, we don't have a remote, and so instead we escape to the land of Instagram. Or we can't press fast forward when conflict arises, and so we overlook behaviors in our children that we know need to be corrected. And sometimes those things are necessary in order to survive as a parent, But the question is, what if those circumstances that we want to look over most could end up really being valuable, life-changing moments that will shape and mold our children? I mean, the question is, are we really being intentional and cultivating a love for Jesus in our homes with the time that we've been given? Now, this weekend, uh, it's week three of this series that we've been in for the past couple weeks called uh, The Most Important Disciples You Will Ever Make. And in this series, we've been looking at how Jesus loved and interacted with different people. And so our aim has been to match up our parenting style and methods with how Jesus lived. And so today we're going to see how Jesus was really a master at spending time and devoting attention to people in his life who really needed it most. Now whenever we open up the biographies of Jesus, never do we get the sense that he wanted to skip over moments with people. He never wanted to press fast forward. Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry. And so as parents, how can we do better at this? 
I know that some of you are thinking right about now, oh great, I'm just going to be guilted into spending more time with my kids today. I mean, is this really what this is going to all be about? And to that I'd say that is not my intent at all. In fact, if you walk away with that, I think that you'll really miss the point. And so as we look at our text, as we look at our story today, here's the idea that we're going to unpack and it's this. That it's not so much, it's not so much about the amount of time that we spend with our children as it is what we do when we spend time together. It's not so much about the amount of time we spend with our children as it is what we do when we spend time together. You see, as parents, if all we're doing is logging hours and minutes with our kids and we're measuring that, then really we've missed the point. You see, time is really irrelevant unless we are being intentional with it. And so how can we do better at this? Well, if you have your Bibles, what I want you to do is go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Luke. Um, You may have a a Bible on your phone or iPad, some type of digital device. Uh, If you don't, there's a black Bible right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's underneath that chair in front of you. And uh, we're going to be on page 733. Uh, And those black Bibles right in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, those Bibles are our free gift to you. Take that home, get acquainted with it. Uh, That that is our our gift to you. Um, We're going to be in chapter 9 today in in the Gospel of Luke. And now realize that uh, the story that we're going to look at today is one of the only miracles that is recorded in all four biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we get this impression that this is a really, really important moment. And at first glance, it looks as if Jesus did this miracle for the crowd that was following him. I mean, they were hungry, so he met a need. We're talking about when Jesus fed the 5,000. But you see, when we dig beneath the surface, we realize that it was more for the disciples who were with Jesus than it was for the crowds. And so if you're in Luke chapter 9, pick up with me in verse 10. Here's what we read. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Now, in the previous few verses, we read that Jesus had sent the disciples out to preach and heal people in villages across the region. And so in verse 10, Jesus takes the apostles aside to hear how everything went. Now, time out here for a moment. You and I cannot force anyone to follow Jesus, including our own children. I mean, you can't receive salvation on their behalf. Having them baptized is pointless if their heart is nowhere near God. But what you and I do have control over as moms and dads and as step-parents is establishing a home where following Jesus is irresistible and attractive. And so today, if that's what you are aiming for, then it will require us to make some changes and shifts in how we spend time as parents, step-parents, and grandparents. And so let's use this story to help us out with this. And so the first shift that we must make with our kids is this, is to go from hearing to listening. Go from hearing to listening. Now, a lot of people can hear, right? But few really listen. Now, verse 10 of our text uh, reveals a defining characteristic about Jesus. He was a great listener. Jesus, being the creator of the human mind, knew that communication was essential for deepening relationships with those around him. On another occasion, Jesus taught on how well our Heavenly Father listens to us. I want you to look at what he says in Matthew 7. I don't think that it's any coincidence, though, that he illustrates his point by using the relationship of a father and of a son. Matthew 7, verse 9, Jesus says, Which of you, 
If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. What's he talking about here? Well, really, Jesus is contrasting the difference between hearing and listening. I mean, there is a big difference, right? Verse 11, he goes on. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, what Jesus is saying here is that no loving father just merely hears his children. No, a good father listens, and the proof of that is in how well the needs of his offspring are being met. Now, here's the thing. We are called to listen to our children because the Lord listens to us. Not because God needs to hear what we have to say, but because we need to be reminded that he is God and we're not. The quality of time we spend with our kids is only as good as our ability and willingness to listen. I love what uh, Ken said last week. He said, it should be more about you entering into your children's world than them entering into yours. And to be honest with you, uh, I'm not that good at this. Uh, my son, John Ryman, is three and a half years old, and he's in this learning phase where everything that uh, you talk about is followed up with him asking why. Why, 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 why? No matter what we're talking about. And to be honest with you, it makes me feel pretty stupid at times because he will ask that question so much that I either have to make up something <laughs> or I have to say, I don't know, buddy. And one time I said that, and he said, you don't know a lot, Daddy, do you? <laughs> I don't know why you laugh. Uh, maybe he's on to something. Well, a couple months ago, we were hanging out in his room, and I was doing something on my phone, not really listening to what he was saying, and he was just talking, and I was just giving that very generic, uh-huh, uh-huh type response to let him know that I was still breathing. All of a sudden, silence came over the room, and, and that made me put my phone down. And he said, Daddy, you weren't really listening to me, were you? And so I said what every man would say in that situation. I said, of course I was. Now, I thought I had gotten away with it at that point. He then said, okay, what did I say then? <laughs> now, he's three years old. And there's no question that he had heard his mother ask me that same question before. <laughs> and so I said, buddy, don't you ever question your father, all right? <laughs> right? But you know what? This is an area of needed growth for me as well. And so the question for all of us today is, how well are we doing this? If you aren't a parent, how well are you listening to those in your life? Do your kids, do your kids, do you know them? Are you entering their world? Do you know their hobbies? What keeps them up at night? Do you know who they're dating? You see, when we listen to our children, we are inadvertently telling them that we want to be involved with them and we care for them and we love them. I love what Alice Guinness says in one of his books. He writes, attention is the rarest commodity. Everybody is talking, but nobody's listening. And doesn't that define our society today? I and mean, would your children say that about your home? And so Jesus attempts to take his disciples away from all the diversions of his ministry so that he can listen and connect with the guys in his life that he loved. But it doesn't work out too well for him. Look at what happens next in verse 11. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. All right, so he takes them away. The crowds hear about it, and they follow him. Now, if you were Jesus, when you saw the crowds coming, wouldn't you say, oh, no, I mean, here they are again. 
I mean, these people were physically and emotionally draining for Christ. There's a reason why he had to continually get away from the crowds to be by himself so he could spend time with his father. But Christ is about to turn this seeming inconvenience into an opportunity to disciple his closest buddies. Look at what happens next. He, talking about Jesus, welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Are you kidding me? And so Jesus was doing more than just teaching here. He was doing more than just healing the sick. Remember, the apostles just got back from a mission that consisted of this very same thing of teaching and healing. Now, we don't really know how well it went for them. It could have been the worst experience of their life. But you see, Jesus' teaching and healing in front of the disciples was intentional. Why? Because he was demonstrating what he really expected out of his followers. And so the next shift or move that we must make as parents, if we're going to be strategic with our time, with our family, is to move from demanding to modeling. Move from demanding to modeling. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus knew the greater vision that was at stake here, okay? You see, he was training 11 of these men to build his church long after he left the earth to be with his Father in heaven. And so Jesus didn't just command them or tell them how to do it, I mean, I suppose if he wanted, he could have just sent some messenger in his place to do that. Yet he was the willing example who entered this dark and broken world and showed us a better way. A mentor of mine said it like this. He said, you reproduce who you are, not what you say. And so the obvious question for us is this. Are we demanding that our children follow after Jesus without really demonstrating what that looks like? Let's get a little bit more personal. Are you telling your kids to follow after a God that you may not really be following yourself? I mean, be honest. It's perhaps the most important question that you can ask for yourself because kids, they can see right through it. People around you at the workplace, they can see right through it. The only person that you are fooling is yourself. And you see, my fear is that a lot of our children, stepchildren and grandchildren will grow up to reject Jesus, not because of his outlandish claims or what it will cost them, but because they saw a parent figure who claimed to be a Christian, but really all that was modeled to them growing up was how to live a double life. Now, I mean, we all struggle with hypocrisy to a degree. I mean, we claim to believe one thing, and yet oftentimes our lifestyle doesn't match up with what we're saying. If I can be honest with you, sometimes I just stink at being a Christian, all right? I mean, rarely do I put my head on the pillow at night thinking to myself, man, I nailed it today. (laughs) Followed you well today, Jesus. And so what I am not saying is that unless you are perfect, you can't be a good parent or a good follower of Christ. All of us would be without hope on that one, all right? But you see, the difference between parents who are worth following and the ones who aren't, it goes down to this thing called transparency. You see, when we expose our flaws, we are showing our children that they will never outgrow their need for grace. It's an opportunity for them to see that the finished work of Jesus is relevant in your life. It is an opportunity for that to be elevated. But how will your kids ever see that the gospel is real to you if all you are ever doing is sweeping your sin under the rug and hoping that they didn't catch you in the act? You see, when we conceal our brokenness, we act as if we are our own savior. And let me tell you something. You and I... We're a horrible savior for ourselves. We are. 
And so let me challenge you to use your struggles to point your kids to God's sufficient grace that you and I don't deserve at all. There's no shame in that. In fact, that's evidence of someone who is being changed by Jesus. You know, one of the main reasons why I followed Jesus to this day is because I had a mom and dad who genuinely loved him. It wasn't for show. They didn't have some behind the scenes and at church version of themselves. They were always the same people. And my mom has always been an avid student of scripture. And growing up, I would walk downstairs to the breakfast table and like clockwork, she'd be sitting there in her bathrobe with a cup of coffee in hand just studying the Bible. To this day, every Monday, she volunteers for the care ministry at my home church and she visits sick people in the hospital. She'll spend time with them. She'll write their name down in a little journal in their condition. And then she doesn't just pray for them right then and there, but she prays for them throughout the course of her week. You see, following Jesus, it was an easy decision for me growing up because I saw a mom and dad who had been transformed and changed by Jesus. When I was about five years old, my dad was asked to be a deacon at my home church, which meant he had to do less glamorous things like serve communion in the nursing homes on Sunday afternoons. And so my dad saw this really as an opportunity to demonstrate to me what it meant to follow and serve Jesus. And so every Sunday, we'd hop in his car and we'd head to about six different nursing homes in the Louisville area. Our time together would always end by us going to White Castle. A very spiritual experience, I know. He'd always say, now don't tell your mother that we went here, okay? <laughs> and we didn't have to because she always found out in other ways. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's he talking about? <laughs> but she went, no matter who we visited that day, at a very young and impressionable age, I saw what it really meant to pray for those who are hurting, to spend time with the lonely and to love as Jesus loved. I follow Jesus today because I had a mom and dad who went before me and showed me the way. And what about you? How are you doing with this? I mean, are you truly satisfied in Christ and Christ alone? Would your kids pick up on the fact that, that you stand every day in awe of what God has done for you? Does your, does your life model gratitude? Or would your kids say that, man, mom and dad, they're always trying to fill a void with something else, some new project, some new toy or hobby. Do your kids pick up on more cynicism than compassion within you towards people? And you see, if you have a long way to go as a parent, I'd say join the club. Me too. But you see, our desire to make disciples in our home must surpass the guilt that we feel day in and day out. Because if you are in Christ today, then you are no longer under condemnation. Now, if you want to take a really good step towards modeling what it really means to follow Jesus, one thing I want to challenge you to do this week is to show your children what it means to read and apply God's word to your life. Now, you may think to yourself, well, I could never do that, Patrick. I've never even really read the Bible myself. Well, I want you to try this out. It's really, really easy. Anybody can do it. And so I'm going to show you how you might want to get a pen out and write it down on your bulletin. Or if you don't have a bulletin, there should be some pens in front of you. Write it there on the offering envelope. Now, this isn't the only way to study scripture. If you have a better way to do it, I encourage you to go with that way, okay? But you might want to write this down. What you want to do is I'm just going to encourage you to, to read through Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, the story that we're looking at today, all right? And you're just going to read it aloud with your family, maybe at the dinner table, maybe when, uh, at some point when you guys are all together. Have your children read it aloud if they're able. That would be even better. And then after that, you're just going to simply ask three different questions, okay? Write these questions down. The first question is this. What do you like or not like and not like about the story that you're reading? What do you like and not like about the story that you're reading? 
Second question is this. What does this text say about God and people? I mean, with this story, what is it revealing to us about our creator? And what's it also saying about humanity as a whole? And then thirdly, how will you apply or obey what's being said here? How will you apply or obey what's being said, away, said here? What, what's the takeaway? Now, just a little disclaimer, disclaimer up front. It, it, it's going to require some vulnerability on your part. There may be some awkward, silent moments. But keep the bigger picture in mind. I mean, how could the trajectory of your child's life change for the best if they really began to realize that the word of God is accessible to them day in and day out? It starts with us, mom and dad. And when they see it in you, they're going to take that into their life and their whole eternity could be altered as a result. Not the only way to study scripture, but a good way. And if you have a better way, then use it. But my encouragement to you is, is to take a step in the right direction when it comes to this. All right? Now let's finish our story here in Luke 9. As we'll see here in just a minute, the last shift that we must make as parents, if we're going to run after being intentional with our time, is to go from protecting to sending. Protecting to sending. Check out how Jesus did this starting in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we're here in a remote place. Verse 13, he, talking about Jesus, replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this, for all this crowd. Verse 14, about 5,000 men were there. Now 5,000 people only included the men. Women and children were not factored in. Some estimate that there may have been well over 10,000 people and that's a pretty conservative estimate. I mean, we're talking about a ton of people here, Right? I mean, if you ask me, it kind of sounds like the first century version of Woodstock. They're in a random field with a bunch of people, and they're all getting the munchies. All right? <laughs> Some of you don't get that. You might later on. <laughs> but you want know notice the contrast between the disciples' anxiety with this dilemma about the crowd's hunger and how Jesus just doesn't seem to be frazzled at all. I mean, he's very calm and collected. And so when they asked their rabbi, talking about the disciples, when they asked their rabbi what his game plan was, I imagine his response caught them off guard a little bit. Jesus says this, you give them something to eat. I mean, if you see the problem, then you do something about it. Now what Jesus didn't say was, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it for you guys. You, you don't worry about it. He didn't say, uh, you know what, you just stay huddled up. Don't let the complaints and the criticism from all the people get to you. Just form your little holy huddle, all right? No, what seems backwards here is Jesus telling them to do something that they obviously didn't have the power to do. And so why did he do that? Because Jesus, he was a really great teacher. And Jesus wanted the disciples to not just know, but experience what it meant to be completely reliant upon him, even if it came at the expense of the disciples' comfort. You see, as parents, our natural reaction with our kids is to control them and to protect them from everything. We want to keep them safe and comfortable, right? And that's not a bad thing. It's just not the most important thing. And from God's perspective, reliance upon him always trumps comfort. And so moms and dads, like Jesus did with the disciples here, are you creating experiences for your kids to need the power of God? 
Are you pushing them out into impossible situations so that they may see God show up in a really unexpected way? Now let's be straight here for a moment. I mean, there are things in our culture right now to be really concerned about. I mean, our children are growing up in an age when they walk into a a Walgreens and they see the cover of Vanity Fair magazine, they don't know if they're looking at a man or a woman. You can download apps on your phone to help arrange affairs with other married people in the area. The definition of marriage is being reduced down to two people who are committed to one another. Women in our country are being sold as sex slaves left and right. Race tensions are escalating. Many in our community are becoming addicted to meth. Now, as a parent, I share your concerns about these matters. And so realize that our temptation moving forward as moms and dads will be to shield and protect our kids in such a way that they don't become contaminated by culture, right? Here's the thing, though. Our society is not the enemy. They are simply the victim of the one Jesus said has come to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. Enemies need to be taken out, but victims... Victims need to be rescued. Do you know what the history of the church reveals to us? Followers of Jesus have a unique way of thriving in the midst of cultural darkness because we carry with us the light of the world. You see, rampant evil and darkness give us an opportunity to shine and be distinctive and point people to our only hope, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may we raise up a generation of men and women who will seek to rescue the victims of darkness. May our children grow up and and charge the gates of hell with the message of of truth and grace because they've seen it first in us. May we implant a level of boldness for the gospel within our children that is so contagious that they are willing to do anything to proclaim Christ, whether that means imprisonment, unemployment, rejection, or even death. Now here's the challenge for you and I. If we don't disciple our children to love Jesus, then the world is going to disciple them to love darkness. You see, everybody that you meet, I don't know if you know this, is a disciple. Everybody is a disciple of something or someone. And so our job as parents, as spiritual leaders in their life, is to direct their attention and affection to be a disciple of Jesus. And let's be honest, we don't have necessarily the power to do this all by ourselves. That's why we need the church. We need God's community to help us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And accessing the power of God through the Spirit only comes when we choose to surrender. Now back to our text here. I want you to notice how the disciples at first told Jesus what to do about the crowd's hunger. As if Jesus needed their advice, right? (laughs) They said in verse 12, hey, Jesus, just send the crowds away, okay? Now think about this for a moment. Had Jesus taken their counsel and done what they suggested, and he'd done what they suggested at first, they would have never experienced one of the greatest miracles throughout Jesus' ministry. And so the question for us is, what if shielding our children comes at the expense of sending them into the world to reach those who are dying? I mean, what happens when overly protecting our kids compromises the very mission that we've been given here? The answers um, given to us in verse 14, take a look. But he, talking about Jesus, said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so when everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to all the people. And so the answer is always the same. 
when protecting surpasses our willingness to send, our kids will miss out on witnessing a God who can take five loaves of bread and two fish and in turn feed the thousands. I mean, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, all right, I'll do the work. You just watch me. Sit on the sidelines, all right? No, Jesus allowed the disciples to join his work meeting the people's needs. And so in this moment, it's a merger between the miraculous and the ordinary. It's a merger between the supernatural, the divine, and what was average and common. And that's exactly what God offers us today. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. He is the living God who is able to empower you to do things that you thought you could never do. And though you may be average and broken and common and full of sin, the Holy Spirit inside you is so life-changing that Jesus said it was better for him to leave this earth so that we could have access to the Spirit, that same Spirit who ultimately would raise Jesus from the dead. As Ken said two weeks ago, you and I, we, we live in a very pervasive outsourcing culture to meet our demands. And while there are some of us who have outsourced disciple-making to the church in itself, there are others of us in here who have Outsource the entire process of raising a son or a daughter to a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or an ex. Now let's be honest, in most circumstances we're talking about dads, right? I mean, absent fathers is an epidemic in our culture. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children in America, that's one in every three, live in homes where the biological father is absent. I mean, this is a problem. Dads, we're the chief disciple makers in our homes. I mean, it doesn't matter how broken, messed up, or how often you have custody of your kids. Your children and stepchildren are looking to you for spiritual guidance. I mean, if you're a single mom in here today, I don't know how you do it. I mean, I can barely watch my kids for an hour without them having a near-death experience, all right? I mean, you are a true hero to me. Now, if you're a dad here today and it's been years since you reached out to a son or a daughter or you can't even remember what they look like, what would it look like for you to swallow your pride and take a step towards involvement in their life? I mean, how would their life and your life change for the best if you really began embracing your God-given mandate to lead and influence them? Now, I realize that some of you dads probably feel an element of guilt right now because you're wondering, man, how can I do better? I've blown it big time. Can God forgive you? Yes. Is there grace for dishing out the responsibility of raising a child to a spouse, an ex, or a girlfriend? Absolutely. But you see, grace demands our repentance. It's not an excuse to keep on sinning. And so if every time you fail to pay child support, or every time you fail to call him or her on their birthday, or you can't remember the last time you really spent intentional time with them, you dismiss what you've done by saying, well, well, God forgives me, but little reconciliation is done on your part, then I'm here to tell you that you have far bigger issues than just being a lousy dad. In the most loving way I know possible, you really need to evaluate where you are with the Lord. You see, you cannot separate being a follower from being a father. I mean, this is how seriously God takes this. And so God does provide and promise us a better way to live. But you know what? That's contingent upon us yielding to what he says is right and true. And so let's see how this picnic concludes in our story. Check out verse 17. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
Now, I don't know why you're here today, but I do know that when you experience Jesus, that you will walk away fulfilled with more basketfuls than you really know what to do with. You see, the same God who took this meal fit for only two people and in a second multiplied it to feed over 10,000 people is the same God willing to meet you right where you're at today. He's the same God who's aware of your financial struggles as a single mom. He's the same God who knows about the guilt that you've experienced for being a distant father for so many years. He's the same God who can enable the pregnancy test to be positive when it seems as if all hope has been lost. He's the same God who can soften the heart of the most rebellious child. You see, God's greatest desire for your life is that you would know and fathom and experience his lasting, enduring satisfaction that only happens when you realize that the finished work of Jesus on the cross was for you. You see, it can't be bought. You can't earn it. It's a gift. That's why the Bible oftentimes refers to our salvation as rest that we enter into. And in our busy, connected, frenetic-paced world today that is searching for significance in all the wrong places, let me just tell you that Jesus is the best offer that you're ever going to get. I know from experience on that one. And so if you'd like to really begin that relationship with him, if you're ready to enter into that rest and find complete, total satisfaction in Christ alone, then we want to invite you to do that today. Where do you go? What do you do? Well, we're going to sing another worship song here in just a moment. Then I'm going to come back up here, have a few announcements. And what I want you to do is, is as we're dismissed here in just a moment, you just stay seated. Some section hosts, they're volunteers wearing red lanyards. Red lanyards, they'll make their way towards you. They'll sit down with you, hear you out, listen, pray with you. And they'll help you determine your next step as you pursue and run after a God who loves you so much who's already run after you. And so let's all stand up right now. We're going to sing one more worship song. If that's a decision that you need to make, you, you stay seated here in just a moment as we're dismissed. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing one more song. <clears throat> God, I love you so much. And God, you know better than anyone how much I've, I've blown it as a father. God, there are a few areas of my life that I feel more at than in my role as a dad to John Ryman and Vera. But God, I'm thankful that you're not like me. That you are one true perfect father. And God, your grace is enough. And Lord, you listen to us. You care for us so well. And so God, would you help us realize that satisfaction and fulfillment can be found in you and you alone. Not in what we do, not in who we are, but in, but in who you are, God. And so, Lord, help us to be the moms and dads, the step-parents, the followers of you that you long for us to be. And would you just draw us near so that we may know that true satisfaction is found in you and you alone. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.